0: Hello and welcome to TransUnion's FinTech podcast series. My name is Asia Anwar jones and I help run the FinTech team here at TransUnion UK and Europe. Today, I have two guests with me, Praneeth Meeker and Sam Buckley, and we will be covering the popular topic that is open banking and learning a bit more about what it is, how we're seeing it used, and why it's important, of course. To start off with, I'll ask my guests to introduce themselves. I'll come to you first, Paneeth.
1: Hi, Asia. You've got uh, Paneeth here. So I head up the data science analytics team here at TransUnion UK. And my team has been quite instrumental in building some of the products and solution in the open banking space uh, using the open banking data. And uh, really good to talk to you all about how we have uh, progressed uh, both in the development and in the maturity of the solutions that we offer.
0: Fantastic. And thank you for joining us today, Bruneet. And Sam, could you introduce yourself, please?
2: Hi, I'm Sam Buckley. I'm Senior Credit Consultant in Open Banking at TU. My role is to work with firms as they innovate to look to introduce and expand their use of open banking in their lending decisioning.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Sam. So back in 2016, the Competition and Markets Authority published a report on the UK's retail banking market. It focused on creating healthy competition to the benefit of consumers and lenders. A recommendation out of that report was open banking. That's really taken off, especially since 2018, and the open banking ecosystem has enabled customers and businesses to share current account information to third parties. Sam, could you give us a whistle-stop tour on exactly how that works and what it enables?
2: Yes. Yeah, so open banking allows consumers to give firms access to their current account information. So those transactional datas can then be used by firms in their affordability assessment, eligibility criteria and credit risk assessment. And this can add value to consumers by potentially giving them access to credit, where otherwise they might not have had access to it or access to better price products. And it's really that value exchange that allows open banking to be valuable to both consumers and firms.
0: Great. Thanks, Sam. And, Kanit, where do you see it being adopted in terms of industries and what's the traditional use case for it?
1: Yeah, I think there have been um, many use cases now for open banking from the time when um, open banking actually launched as you rightly said in asia 2016 the cma report uh, which actually came out in the market about you know providers actually sharing this information out so that they could use this information to make it available for consumers to access it has progressed quite a lot so from the time when data was coming through which wasn't really stable uh, we had um, we had a lot of providers actually not adhering to the standards and some of the quality issues existed within the data as well So that actually started off with not having a lot of confidence in the information that lenders needed to have in order to make decisions. But that has progressed quite a lot. In fact, if you see now, most of the providers of this data have stuck to the standards, it actually is quite robust. The delivery mechanism has improved, the service levels have improved, uh, and that's giving a lot of confidence for lenders now to, to use this information for decisioning purposes. So the most common use case that we're seeing in the market now is really for affordability computations. So where uh, you don't have a lot of information from the from the customer i think open banking is giving a a good approach to those consumers to be able to share that data immediately without having to either submit their pay slips bank statements and being able to provide that information fairly quickly so the decisions can be made much faster so i think that's where the biggest use of open banking is currently but uh, given the data is now matured and you know consumers are adopting a lot more uh, if you look at you know where what the adoption rate was say in 2018, 2019, we were able to see some of those uh, outputs, you know was less than 10%. Uh, but now if you look at the kind of adoption rates we're seeing in the market, uh, this is close to about 60%. Uh, we have a lot more consumers being quite comfortable, uh, giving their consent for sharing this data, and hence it can be used for many more use cases like in the payments journeys It's being used for ID and validation purposes. Uh, In fact, some lenders are also using this information and combining that with the data that bureaus have to uh, to provide more intelligence about uh, assessing the the appropriate policies and scorecards. So I think uh, it has evolved quite a bit from the time it has launched. And and I'm really really good to see that firms are innovating to use this data quite creatively in the decision process.
0: Brilliant. And that's a really interesting point you've touched on there around the combining of the data. Sam, on the combining of the data, what power does that give a lender, especially when it comes to the credit risk
2: scores, Yes, so really the value of open banking data as a complement to credit data is really around two, two different areas. So the first area is where that open banking data can give greater levels of detail and greater amount of insight compared to traditional credit data. So for example, income verification is a great example of this. So whilst traditional credit income verification solutions are robust using the Cato data, the open banking data gives it a lot more precision in terms of being able to dissect a customer's income into its constituent parts, whether that's primary income, secondary, income from benefits, so that, that's one key area. The other area is where open banking gives access to data that is not possible to see through traditional credit. So it's not reported to the share database. So a great example of that is for vulnerability detection for gambling behavior. So we're able to identify that gambling transactions and look at that behavior and that can then form part of the risk assessment for the customer.
0: That's really interesting. Pranith, why is the categorization of open banking transactions so important? And within today's economic climate, that transactional data that comes back from open banking, why is that so powerful, especially given the shifts that we're seeing with rising costs of living?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting uh, question. It's just bas- basically from the time that this data has been made available uh, by banks, you know, transactional data is not an easy piece of data to be uh, mined and to generate the best insights of. Uh, I won't call it unstructured data, but it is. It is fairly structured data. But as soon as you start looking at some of the details within the transaction data, you'll see that you know the transaction description gives you a lot more information about what that transaction is really being done for compared to you know the the categorization that exists that uh, is normally provided as a merchant category code and and that information has uh, really progressed quite a bit through the years In fact, a lot of open banking providers have started using machine learning techniques to be able to categorize that information so that when they start seeing new transactions come through, uh, we don't have to actually build new algorithms, but the the machine learning algorithm will be able to understand that and be able to categorize it in in the right uh, form. Now, that has uh, progressed quite a lot, and that's really important, mainly because that allows lenders to then assess what is discretionary spending, what is committed spending, and be able to make a better assessment of a customer's uh, affordability position and be able to make decisions based on that information that's been provided. So that's where it, uh, that's where categorization is really critical. And in the recent context, especially where there's been uh, the whole crisis going on for cost of living, um, you know, where you know utility payments have increased, uh, rental commitments have increased. It's becoming even more important because as as lenders are trying to understand, you know, how customers are reacting to this crisis, you know, how is discretionary spending now moving away potentially from you know like debit card spend to potentially on on credit card. That is quite critical because that helps banks. Understand as well how consumers are shifting their, the spending uh, behaviors, uh, and you know it also allows banks and lenders be proactive in trying to address these concerns with those customers, uh, but also take into account that some of those uh, you know behavioral traits could lead to more stressful indicators. So I think this is where uh, having access to those categorized transaction data becomes uh, quite critical in how banks and and lenders will be making decisions for the future.
0: So definitely the granularity of the data, the transactional information makes for a lot more predictive data and better lending decisions. I suppose, Sam, one of the concerns that some lenders have is the journey, the customer experience that someone might have when going through an onboarding process and the introduction of open banking within that could potentially cause drop-off or create friction. What are your thoughts in that regard, And what could lenders be doing to try and increase the take-up rates?
2: So that's a great point. And it really comes down to the value exchange that is happening with open banking between the customer and the lender. And it's about articulating that value exchange to the customer. What's in it for them to share that information, to allow the lender to use that data as part of their risk assessment. And one of the key benefits for consumers is around by sharing open banking data it can give them greater likelihood of access to credit for certain populations so for thin profile customers um, who don't have such a strong footprint on the credit file where lenders aren't necessarily able to make a full, confident affordability assessment against that type of customer. So it gives access potential access to credit for that profile of customer. Um, and then for customers that do have a comprehensive credit file, it could potentially give them access to better priced products, more suitable products, at a lower price point. Um, and it's around really articulating that value to the customer Um, And then once that data has been shared, firms can use that as part of their their underwriting. So the point you made in terms of what firms can do to improve that, um, So I think firstly is articulating that value exchange to the customer. And secondly, it's about positioning the open banking journey in a way that is the most convenient for the customer to go through that process. Um, And one great example of that is through customer-facing aggregator apps, where the customer is able to give consent to their open banking data potentially outside of an application for a credit product. And that data is then available and ready for the firm to use at the point of need.
0: Great. Thanks, Sam. Um, Beneath, just to come back to you on some of the points that you were talking about earlier around who is using open banking right now, there was some lively debate back end of last year by a um, popular figurehead in the financial services industry, who said that the reason that open banking was brought about was because the focus was to try and create healthy competition to benefit consumers and lenders and potentially challenge the tier one banks. And it had failed in doing that. What are your thoughts in that regard? Has it failed in doing that? Could you give us a bit more insight into your perspective?
1: Yeah, sure. And I think it was uh, quite controversial. Uh, I remember as well reading through that uh, statement, uh, I think, towards the end of last year. right? Yeah. Uh, my view, I think, really is that um, it may have not fostered as much amount of competition as it was perceived earlier when it got launched. But if you ask me, with the with the adoption rates now increasing to the level you know, that we just quoted uh, and what we're seeing now through our open banking solutions as well, I'm seeing actually that it is meeting its purpose. I mean, you have a lot of the the fintechs and, um, you know, uh, Neo and Challenger banks who have never had access to transaction data now getting access to this information being able to make a lot more robust decisions being able to you know provide uh better better functionalities better propositions uh, to, to customers who, who did not have access to those kind of uh, propositions through to traditional banks so i think it has fostered a lot of competition it has fostered innovation in the market uh maybe some of the the bigger banks have uh, have not seen that come through because you know it may not be the only source of originations you know you have the potentially are getting customers through the traditional channels, which will continue to happen because you know every market has a different kind of uh customer base you know people who have traditionally always liked to work with traditional banks uh, will continue to do that whereas as the generation changes as as you have more people getting used to using some of these uh, digital onboarding processes completely I think people will start being able to provide as as Sam pointed out the value exchange will come into play and it is going to be fostering a lot of competition so I think it it was quite controversial to make that statement but looking at the data and looking at the trends that we're seeing now I think uh, I think we're in a much better space than what was earlier perceived.
0: So lenders can just make much more informed, accurate decisions that are right for the consumer, which is great. So thank you for that, Pranee, Sam. In our next podcast, we're actually going to explore the innovation that open banking can drive in financial products. And we will have a special guest joining us to talk through how he and his organization have taken that concept and put it into action But just to give a flavour to our listeners between now and then, could you tell us a bit more about how you see that happening, what open banking is driving right now? And I suppose for other lenders and people in the financial services industry, how they could be thinking outside of the box when it comes to open banking?
2: Yes, absolutely. So I think one of the key areas of innovation is looking for ways to um, expand the offering to customers in terms of how the customers have consented to the open banking journey. So to build that confidence in customers in order to expand the number of decisions that can be made utilizing open banking data. And in order to do that, it's around identifying what are expanding use cases and how can that data be used to more deeply integrate with affordability assessment, eligibility, um, and what types of products can be offered to customers that are targeted using the open banking data.
0: Great. Thanks, Sam. So, really interesting and riveting discussion today. So, thank you both some of the things that we've touched on around open banking, actually driving competition. It's really, really interesting and actually using it, especially with blending of other data and creating new scores to drive better decisions and predictivity is really insightful. So thank you. And before we wrap up this session, could I come back to both of you for a key takeaway for our listeners? Praneet, starting with you.
1: Yeah, sure. I think it's really good to see how the adoption for open banking has increased quite a lot. And also, it's it's good to see how, again, data science and, and algorithms have improved along with the data that's been maturing uh, over the years. So, uh, I'm keen to see how the adoption increases even further and how we're able to generate even more insights from this transactional data um, and how it makes it much easier for consumers essentially to get access uh, to credit.
0: Fantastic. And Sam, takeaway from you?
2: My key takeaway is around firms looking for ways to further deepen the integration of open banking data in their decisioning. Um, and that is going to give them a competitive advantage in the in the short term and in the long term, once consumers start to demand that open banking data to be used as part of that decisioning, it will put them ahead of the curve.
0: Brilliant. Thank you both for being guests today. We really appreciate your time. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If anybody would like to learn more about open banking and the solutions that we offer at TransUnion, please visit our website, transunion.co.uk there you will also find the consumer credit 2022 white paper which provides further information or of course reach out to your contacts at transunion we'll be back soon with further episodes and looking forward to speaking to you again
2: this podcast was produced by transunion a global insights and analytics company The views expressed in
1: this podcast are not necessarily those of TransUnion and TransUnion is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast.